Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Did you feel that? Uneasy laughter is usually a good sign. Did it feel unsettling for you, even for those of you who are watching online or at one of our other campuses? Did did it feel unsettling for you to just sit in silence? In case you are a self-branded extrovert or people person or high energy Easter bunny type of individual that was only 32 seconds. 32 seconds. And you could almost feel the uneasiness in the room. Now, maybe there's a few of you, like my beautiful wife who's here with us and who literally requested earplugs as one of her Christmas presents to go in her stocking. Maybe there's a few of you who sit in that seat. But for the most part, for the most part, most of us would have felt unsettled because we have been groomed by Western society to to feel silence as a terrifying proposition. And yet, I believe that if we could... If we somehow had control of the chaos, if, if we somehow had the, the capacity in, in, in some sense to quiet the noise, I believe we would. I believe we would. In fact, I believe that most of the rhythm of pace and freneticism that we live in, most of the rhythm that we currently live in, we are either addicted to or feel trapped by. In fact, consider this. Have you ever met someone who seems completely unaffected by the chaos around them? Completely unaffected by the noise, completely unaffected by the pace, completely unaffected by the pool, pull. In fact, someone that you might call a non-anxious presence in a highly anxious world. Have you ever met a person like that? They change the dynamics of an environment. And I believe you, I really do believe you deep down, you want to be that person. You want to be a non-anxious presence in a highly anxious world, but there's a problem. There's a problem. There is this, this villain that has entered our story and it, it demands our energy and it demands our attention and it demands our presence and it demands we run faster and faster and faster and it demands that we absorb more and more and more and it tells us that if we don't somehow 
we're going to fall behind. It's the whisper of Western society. One in which, listen, you have more information access today in 30 minutes than your grandparents had in 30 years. And it's always there. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me that this feels like a cooperatively constructed prison in which I want to break free, but I don't see a way out. And can I tell you something? This is, it's wrong. You're not meant to live this way. We're not meant to live in a world where levels of anxiety are higher than they've ever been. We're not meant to live in a world where as Americans, we work more hours than the Japanese and take less vacation. It's wrong. And believe me, I understand. You see, for more years than I can count, I... I was held captive by three words. You're going to know these three words. I have to. Anybody familiar with those three words? I have to. Now, I'm going to say from my position as a pastor, I, I, I have to take this meeting, otherwise they might leave the church. I have to get this project done, otherwise we might, we might not make budget. I have to take this new speaking engagement. Otherwise, we might not make ends meet this year. That's just a few examples of a long list of have-tos. And you know where that led me? It led to total burnout. 2015, after years of have-tos, traveling two to three times per month, every month, years of late nights and early meetings. Anybody else? Years of running and running and grinding and running and grinding and running. I finally hit a wall. My weight ballooned up to over 300 pounds. The most I'd ever weighed since I got out of the NFL. And let me tell you, in NFL, 300 pounds is different than a Popeye's 300 pounds. <laughs> it's a different situation. It wasn't up here. It was other places. And at the not-so-subtle nudging of my wife and a few of our then-elders, I'm going to put it in air quotes, I decided to take a month off. It was decided for me. And we went to the big island in Hawaii, which was an incredible gift to me from one of Brianna's family friends. Now, I must admit to you that the first 10 days were miserable. The first 10 days were miserable because what I didn't realize is that I had lived for so long off of the adrenaline that was keeping me going that when I finally had nothing to do, I started to crash like somebody coming off of drugs. I was moody, irritable, unpleasant, constantly complaining about being bored. I basically turned into a teenage girl. Even my driving was so aggressive. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Anybody ever been to Hawaii? All right. My driving was so aggressive that the locals just started to pull off the road. Did they ever do that to you? If you you're living for the Lord, if they didn't, I was not. 
And they would just pull off the road and they can give me a little hang loose sign out the window as I drove by. I'd calm down, brother. But you know what? Sometime around day 11, something snapped. A release of some kind happened. All of a sudden, everything inside of me, well, it began to calm down. I relaxed. I breathed deeper. The air smelled sweeter. I went on a little vision quest with a knife and a stick to try and hunt a wild boar, right? I became a different human being. That's a true story, by the way. I came home. My wife was like, where you been? I'm only in shorts with a stick and a knife. And I was like, being a man, right? Everything changed for me in a moment. My patience lengthened. My driving slowed. In fact, it slowed down to the place where my wife at least twice had to tell me, hey, get going or we're not going to get to where we're going. It was a dramatic turn of events. It was a total change in who I was. I asked my older two children, Eden and Eva, to ask me deep questions about myself on long walks so that they could know me as a human being and not just as dad. And because we were off the beaten path without a lot of distractions and without a lot of entertainment, we had to enjoy things like conversation and spontaneous laughter and long meals as a family. And my wife and I connected on a deeper level, and we had a deeper sense of the strengthening of our bond. And soon the idea of boredom faded completely. The need to produce faded completely. The adrenaline that fueled my panicked life faded completely. Listen, I became whole again. And here's the hard part for us to contend with together. In order to do that, I had to withdraw. Now, I share this with you, not from a place of judgment, but from a place of invitation. I I, I can tell. I can tell because, because many of us are in the same stage of life. I can tell that every word that I said at the beginning about our pace and our race and our, and our pressure and the mounting tension under which we exist to just keep going. I can tell that you felt every word because you're living it right now. You are grinding and building and pushing. You are surrounded by the clamor and the sounds of Western reality. You are running this race at a very American pace and you are tired, stressed, overwhelmed. And you know you need to withdraw. But the have-tos tell you, well, that's just impossible. And although I believe this is a many-layered challenge that we are facing, if I could give you my personal opinion, I, I think that the primary reason we do not withdraw is because we fear that things will fall apart. Can we be honest? Things are going to fall apart. If, if I take time away from my overbusy schedule, if I don't put in 60 hours, if I don't get this done, if I don't move the ball forward, things are going to fall apart. If we stop producing, stop moving, stop making, we fear that everything is going to come undone. I believe secondarily that we don't withdraw because we fear boredom. I don't struggle with boredom, really. 
Can you sit at a stoplight and not touch your phone? That's the first test. You want the higher test? Stand in a line and talk to a stranger rather than death scrolling on social media or catching up on your email. We fear boredom. We fear not having something to entertain us. We are hurried. We are distracted. We are adrenaline-fueled junkies. And it is robbing us. Listen, it is robbing us of the abundant life Jesus promised us. It's robbing us. And it is keeping us from being present, fully present to God and fully present to other people and fully present to all that is good and beautiful in the world and fully present to our own souls. I know Pastor Chase preached a great message last week, but guess what? You cannot be on mission with your neighbors when you have no margin. There has to be space to breathe. In fact, Ronald Roheiser said it this way, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I add to this that the have-tos are tearing us away from the get-tos and the need-tos. And what we need more than anything, trying to navigate the pace and the pressure and the, and the, the way of our host culture is a regular rhythm of withdrawal with God. Why? Because withdrawal with God is essential to a healthy and whole soul. Withdrawal with God reminds us that if we stop, it will not all fall apart. Withdrawal with God teaches us to be more fully present people. And nobody showed us that more than one of the most fantastically productive human beings on the planet, Jesus himself. Now we're in Matthew chapter three today. If you wanna look on with me, or Mark chapter 1, rather. Sorry, Mark chapter 1, if you want to look on with me. And where we find ourselves uh, at the end of this gospel, we're, we're invited to witness a glorious scene. Jesus is baptized, and when he comes out of the water, the voice of God thunders from heaven, and it says, this is my son in whom I well please. And then the, the father announces his affirmation, and immediately we read that the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness where he stays for 40 days. Now, scholars will tell you this word, wilderness or desert, does not always mean some scorching, sandy, extraordinarily hot place. That in fact, there is a range of meanings for this word. The, the word there in the Greek language, if you will forgive my singular nerd moment of today, is eremos. And this word, eremos, has many meanings, including desert, listen, deserted place, desolate place, lonely place, solitary place, quiet place. Quiet place. So Jesus upon being baptized, immediately withdraws to a quiet place, which is not exactly a great way to start a thriving ministry. Today, you're being anointed in ministry. What are you going to do next? Well, I'm going to leave about 40 days and figure out my life. That's not really a start that we would 
be excited about. And yet, if you study the gospel records of his life and ministry, you will find that this was a common and seemingly necessary rhythm for Jesus. Over and over, we find him retreating to the Eremos, which brings us to the heart of our time. Jesus' first day on the job, when he returned from 40 days in the Eremos was a long day. Jesus got up early that morning. He called his first disciples. He went to the synagogue to teach. He cast a demon out of a guy that started yelling at him while he was preaching. I don't have that kind of juice, so if you start yelling at me, I'm just going to leave. He had an incredibly long day. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law while he was over there having lunch. (laughs) And then Mark tells us in verse 32 of chapter 1, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Hear this again. After a full day of working hard, as the evening approached, people piled up at the door. Can you, do you have an imagination to see that? That if you went home after a full day of work, And you went into your house and within a few minutes, your entire driveway and your front yard and your front porch, if you have one, and and, and your backyard is just surrounded by people who are telling you that they need you and you are the only one who can meet that need. Some of you are thinking right now, yes, I have toddlers at home. This sounds incredibly familiar. More sick people needed to be healed. More possessed people needed to be delivered. More good news needed to be preached. Jesus did it all to fulfill his calling. And one would think that after such an incredibly full day, that Jesus would have done what any good red-blooded Near Eastern young man would have done. Slept in, went to Waffle House for a recovery breakfast, caught a light jog in the afternoon with his friends, No, Jesus does something remarkable. You know, the other side of that, of course, is maybe some of us who are a bit more seasoned would expect that he would just get up in the morning and do it all over again because that's what we do. But Jesus instead does something remarkable. It says that he gets up early before the sun rises, which presumes that he went to bed at a reasonable hour. I don't have time to sit down on that point, but please go to bed. Some of, listen, some of you, 80% of your life's challenges would be solved if you would just go to bed. (laughs) Just go to bed, right? Just go to bed. I don't have time to get into the data. I'll just tell you this. Before the invention of the light bulb, people slept on average 11 to 12 hours a night. And now we brag about, I can go on six. Or was that just me? That was me right before I burned out. Eight hours, you're crazy. I can go on six. Yeah. Until my body and my mind said, but man does not live by chicken and coffee alone. (laughs) 
presumes he went to bed on time to get up early. He eased out of the house, verse 35 tells us, before anybody could count him missing. And where does he go? To the Eremos. To the Eremos. This is the same word used for the wilderness where John the baptizer preached and where Jesus was driven for 40 days. So take a moment and consider this in the broader context. Let me, let me contextualize it for you. Jesus, according to Mark's gospel, is baptized, starts his ministry, and then leaves for 40 days, returns for one day, one day of incredible productivity, and then immediately leaves again to the Eremos to pray. I want you to think about that for a moment. Tomorrow you get your dream job. The job that you've been praying for, the job that you've been waiting for, the job that you have all this education for, the job that is going to be the mint that you need to take your life to the next level. And you show up tomorrow and you work from eight to five and you grind it out. And your boss says, I'll see you in the morning. And you say, no, I'm going to be in the R.A. Moss. Can you even imagine that? And yet that's precisely what Jesus did. Now, Mark tells us that Jesus' friends woke up, verse 36, and immediately went searching for him, which implies an intrusion into what he was actually trying to accomplish. In other words, he didn't want to be found, so he was hard to find. Everyone is looking for you, they told him. Apparently, the expectations for more miracles was prevalent, but Jesus came out of the Eremos with incredible clarity. At that time, he said, it's not time for more miracles. It is time for me to go and teach and preach the word. This is why he came. Don't miss this. He knew precisely what he had to do next because he had spent time away from doing. Pastor, tell me what the will of God is for my life. Tell me what I should do next. I don't know what I should do next. I need to discern what I should do next. You have to stop doing to have space to discern. And the reason that Jesus was incredibly clear coming away from the desert place is because he got out of the rhythm of work into the rhythm of withdrawal so that he could have clarity on the work that he was actually supposed to be doing. In fact, I read this interesting statistic that the top CEOs in the world, they take an hour a day just to think, thinking time. I read that about a year ago, and I started putting that on my calendar. I just need an hour every day to think. And then as I was preparing this talk and this time for you guys, I thought to myself, what if, especially for those of us who would say we are followers of the way of Jesus, what if we took that hour not just to think but to commune with the Father? Do you think you would have clarity on what you might do next with your life? The answer is absolutely. Jesus immediately then establishes, you've heard this word for three weeks now, I believe, a rhythm. A rhythm. Productivity in my calling, withdrawal with my Father, productivity in my calling. Productivity in my calling, withdrawal with my Father, productivity in my calling. Not the pattern that we live, which is productivity, 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 vacation that I may not or may be able to afford halfway recharge back to the grind. No, 
That's not a rhythm, that's a race. The rhythm is productivity and withdrawal and productivity. In fact, we could say it this way. If we want the abundant life that Jesus offers, you have to adopt the life that Jesus lived. You can't live the life Jesus offered on your terms and your way. It has to be modeled after him. And Jesus didn't want this just for himself. He actually wanted it for his friends. He wants it for you. In fact, there's another scene in Mark chapter 6, around verse 31, where Mark tells us that the disciples have started in their ministry now. And it says that so many people were coming and going that the disciples didn't even get a chance to eat. Anybody here know that feeling? Be honest. Who's my, I forgot to eat people. Thank you. I see two hands in here, the rest of y'all lying, but that's okay. God is forgiving and merciful. He's also just, so stop lying. I've, man, I was so busy today, I forgot to eat. Listen, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to harsh your buzz, okay? Just, it's because I love you. If you are moving so fast that you forget to nourish your body, how in the world are you going to nourish your soul? How? And look at Jesus' response here. Jesus' response to them is firm and tender. He says in Mark chapter 631, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. What do you think that word is right there? I've taught y'all Greek tonight. What do you think that word is? Eremos. Come with me. Watch this. To get some rest for your souls. They didn't need a drink. They didn't need wine down Wednesday. They, they didn't need that. Ooh, ooh, all the winos laughed at once. I like that. They're like, we're going to invite him, girl, right? <laughs> they didn't need wine down Wednesday. They didn't need tequila Tuesday, bourbon Sunday. I may be making these things up or have lived them. Either way, they didn't need that. Listen, they didn't need to let Netflix go on auto-scroll through murder documentaries. Busted. They didn't need to veg. They didn't need another vacation. They needed proper rest for their souls, which can only be found through withdrawal with God. In fact, if you read Dr. Luke's gospel, okay, and why am I saying Dr. Luke? Because Luke was a doctor, just in case you missed that part. If you read Dr. Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 16, no less than nine times it's recorded, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Family, when we get busy, we need to withdraw more, not less. When people demand a great deal from us, or by some chance we get famous, y'all realize Jesus, like Jesus was a rock star in his day. Right? You raise a couple people from death. You're going to get some notoriety. 
you feed 20,000 people with a box of Jiffy corn mix and some sardines, people are going to know your name. God forbid one of you actually becomes an influencer and gets famous, which is the number one desire for young millennials and Gen Z, by the way, something to pray about. You're going to need to withdraw more, not less. When life feels like an endless list of boxes to be checked off, you need to withdraw more, not less. Fact, just quick poll. Anybody here ever walked on water? I mean, I'm, I gotta ask. Amazing things happen in this world. No? Raise anybody from the dead? Stood in front of a group of people and say, When you see me, you see God. I and the Father are one. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, good. We're on the same page. So here's what I'll say to you if that guy needed rest, if that guy needed to pull away, if that guy needed a rhythm of withdrawal, if that guy needed margin, if the guy who told the storm, hey, not right now, if that guy needed margin, how much more us? How much more us? Now, this practice that we examine today of Jesus has come to be called the spiritual rhythm of silence and solitude. Two words that war with the very nature of our host culture. Now, solitude is relatively straightforward. It means to pull away and be alone with God and your inner world. Note, solitude is not isolation, INTJs. Those are not the same things. Solitude is not just aloneness. It is purposeful aloneness. It is restorative aloneness. And in other words, we could say it this way. Isolation is escape. Solitude is embrace. Isolation is running from. Solitude is running to. Isolation is life taking. Solitude is life giving. And along with solitude, we invite what? Silence. Silence is the invitation to quiet both the internal and external noise that we navigate every day. The great African theologian Augustine wrote this, that entering silence is entering joy. We live in a loud, noisy, busy, frantic, hectic world. And in that world, we must learn to live in rhythms without noise. External noise is easy. Turn off your phone. Can I tell you something funny? I was talking to somebody about this, and I said, turn off your phone. And they said, I don't know how to turn off my phone. <laughs> like, I went full home alone. I was like, <laughs> this is not good. This phone has been on since you purchased it. You might have brain cancer and they have all your data. Turn off your phone. Turn off the television. Some of us grew up in background noise houses, right? 
TV was always on, radio was always on, something was always on. And silence feels deafening, but I promise you, if you navigate into it, if you wade into it, the gift will be incredible. Turn off the television, turn off the phone. Now, the internal noise, that's a different matter. Decluttering your mind is a different matter, but here's what I'll tell you. It can be done, it does take time, but it cannot be done apart from first silencing external noise. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, I suggest this rhythm for everyone. I do, for every one of you. But especially, and and, and again, I know I've been making you do stuff tonight, today rather. Um, Raise your hand if you like run a company or lead people in any capacity. Raise your hand. So this is especially for you. I suggest this for everyone, but especially for people who have to lead people because you are also responsible for the type of environment that you produce for them and their health. One hour a day of silence and solitude. One hour a day. Just one hour a day where you pull away and you quiet the noise. You quiet the noise and you ask God to quiet your soul and to meet with you, in, with you in that moment. Don't fill it with words. Okay, some of us are conversation fillers, I know. There's nothing, listen, the greatest blessing of almost 20 years of marriage is me and my wife can sit together, not say nothing, and never felt closer. Because we don't need to fill the space. Because intimacy already fills the space. And eventually you'll start to feel that with God as well. One hour a day of silence and solitude. One day per month of silence and solitude. Excuse me, sir? Yes, one day per month. One day per month. In Atlanta, we have uh, a couple of monasteries. One is called the Monastery of the Holy Spirit. Love me a charismatic Catholic. One is called uh, the Ignatius House. And they offer guided silent retreats. And I would imagine somewhere in these beautiful hills and mountains that there is something similar for you. Find a place where you can go away to your Eremos one day per month. Now, if you thought that was terrible, two days per quarter. Two days per quarter. Now, when I say it in the broad context, you hear it and it sounds like nothing. Every three months, I want... Every 90 days, take two for silence and solitude. And then if you're feeling really bold, if the Spirit of God is alive and well in you in a way that you don't even understand, one week per year. This is not vacation. This is a purposeful retreat for your soul. And you also need a vacation. You need a fun place and a quiet place. And the way the market's looking right now, we have all the power. So go to your boss tomorrow and say, if you don't write an Air Ramos into my contract, I'm quiet quitting. I'm done. I'm out. I want playtime and I want to go sit with Jesus for a week and hear stuff. And heal in my soul. 
Um, that sounds like too much of a challenge for you, and maybe it is. I would ask you to consider just taking one of those things and operationalizing them in your life this week. Why? Because you must withdraw. Because withdrawal will save your soul. And I'm not talking about salvific saving your soul. I'm not talking about the work of Jesus on the cross save your soul. I'm talking about keep it intact in a way that it can still delight in God and in the world and in the people that you love. If we don't withdraw, we'll never truly catch our breath. In fact, Armory Nowen wrote, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. But if we follow Jesus into this life-giving way of living, I promise you, not only will everything in your world change, but when we're talking about living on mission in everyday life, it starts here. It starts here. Jesus was clear on his mission because he got clarity from his father. And if you want to live on mission, if you want a rhythm of mission, you have to have a rhythm of margin. You have to withdraw. And that's the beautiful thing. That if we get this and we follow Jesus in this beautiful way of life, guess what? Our friends, our family, our neighbors, where we live and learn and work and play who are far from him, we'll get to show them a better way. Not only a better way to be human, but the means by which we truly follow the way of Jesus. Father, I pray now in your precious name, Jesus, that you would move in power through this message, that our hearts would be challenged and transformed, and that we would truly, truly understand the necessity of this rhythm, that if the Savior of the world needed time away from the pace, surely so do we. So show us the way, Lord and give us the courage to walk it out by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.